If you have your Bible with you today, and I hope you do, please turn to the New Testament letter of 2 Timothy. As you're turning there this morning, I want to give you some important context to this passage, which will help us understand the importance and relevance of our passage today. This is a passage that is very near and dear to my heart. It's been a passage that I've been looking forward to the opportunity of being able to teach to you. And uh, with the, uh, the bringing on of Colby as a summer intern, I figured it's a good opportunity and chance to be able to go through this passage and explain why we're going to start doing some things as a church um, here at Grace Chapel. So this letter, 2 Timothy, was the last letter written by the Apostle Paul included in the New Testament. And it was the second letter written by Paul to his young protege in the faith and gospel ministry, a man named Timothy. At the time of this letter's writing, Paul had been a church planter and missionary for over 32 years throughout the entire known world in the Roman Empire. And Timothy, who had accompanied Paul on many of his missionary journeys as a young lad, now as a young man, was a pastor, had been a pastor uh, in Ephesus for the past four years. In other words, when this letter of 2 Timothy was written, Timothy was at the beginning of his ministry, and Paul was nearing its end. Paul sensed this fact. He says in chapter 4, verse 6, that he knew that the time of his departure was drawing near. See, there had been many other times, many other times, in which Paul had been imprisoned for the sake of the gospel, uh, even in Rome. But this time, Paul had been made a scapegoat by Nero for the burning of Rome. And now, as an enemy of the state, Paul knows that he's not making it out this time. The time is near when he will be called to die for the same cause for which he lived, the exaltation and declaration of Jesus Christ to all people. And so Paul writes these words to Timothy as a final call and appeal to that young pastor to keep both himself and his church there in Ephesus faithful to the great commission of glorifying God through making and maturing disciples of Jesus Christ. And as a setup for this final call and appeal to Timothy, Paul starts his letter by giving Timothy a lay of the current ministry landscape that existed in that day in order to show Timothy the great needs of the hour. And as we consider what Paul writes to Timothy in the opening verses of this letter, we'll quickly realize that the dangers of Paul's hour are the dangers of our hour as well, and the need of Paul's hour is the need of our hour as well. So that's going to be our outline for today. As an introduction, we'll consider the danger of the hour, chapter 1, verses 3 through 18, and then we'll consider in chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, the needs of the hour. In other words, how do we respond to the many challenges and threats to gospel ministry in our day And I give you a fair warning, we're only going to be able to make it through that first point. So, the dangers of the hour, and then the needs of the hour. With that in mind, let's read for context, 2 Timothy chapter 1, we'll read verses 15, on to chapter 2, verse 2. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words to us today. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. 
among whom are Fegilus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is the Word of God whose testimonies are wonderful and are kept by the souls of those who are His people. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for how it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. How it is that light that is shining in a dark place. Even when all other lights go out, Father, we thank You that Your Word shows us what is true. Father, I thank You that it helps us to understand the world in which we're living, even today. That the challenges to the Gospel have not changed. That the obstacles put forward by Satan and the world have not changed. But at the same time, Your provision and power and truth have not changed either. So Father, I pray that this morning You by Your Spirit would teach us Your Word and that Your Spirit would drive it deep within us. That it would change our hearts, change our priorities, change our thinking so that we would truly be a pillar and buttress of the truth in our day individually as believers and together as a church help us father by your grace to be strengthened to be faithful stewards of the truth we ask this in jesus name amen So as Paul sets the stage for his main call and appeal in this letter, he begins by laying out for Timothy, here in 2 Timothy, the dangers of the hour. The dangers of the hour. That's in chapter 1, verse 3 through verse 18. The dangers of the hour when it comes to carrying out the great gospel mission of making and maturing disciples of Jesus Christ, which is our mission as Grace Chapel. We face many obstacles, many challenges, Many dangers, and those dangers that Paul lays out are fourfold. The dangers to faithfully carrying out gospel ministry to the glory of Christ in our day begins with a lack of fervor in the gospel. That's in verses 3 through 7. Here in these verses, which we've just read, Paul recounts Timothy's sincere faith in Christ. A sincere faith that had been entrusted to him from his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. And yet, in verses 3-7, through seven, Paul still calls on Timothy in verse 6 to fan into flame the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. 
For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. In other words, God gave Timothy a gift. A lot of people trip over what was that gift. Well, look at the context. Verse 7, it is the gift that God gives to every believer. A spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. You could define those three words when you put them together as a spirit of zeal, of spiritual fervor. This spiritual fervor is a gift that God has given to us in the Gospel. As Titus 2.14 says, Jesus Christ gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are, listen to this, zealous to do good works. In other words, one of the gifts that Jesus Christ gives us at salvation is not only the gift of redemption, holiness, and adoption, but also the gift of zeal, spiritual zeal, zeal to do good works. There is not a believer who has ever existed in the history of the world who did not come to faith in Jesus Christ and not be excited about it. You were given the gift of zeal in Christ Jesus. It is one of the gifts given by God's grace. And Paul tells Timothy to fan that gift, that spirit of power and of love and of self-control, that gift of spiritual zeal and fervor, to fan that gift, he says, into a flame. In other words, don't let your spiritual burden and fervor for the gospel get cold. But rather, feed it, develop it, build it up until it gets white hot. Just as Paul says over in Romans 12, verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. You know, it is a rebuke when those who are the youngest in the faith are the most fervent. It ought to be those who are the oldest in the faith that are the most fervent. It is the ones that have been walking with the Lord for years upon years that should exhibit the most burden for people's souls and the most desire to see Christ exalted, not the other way around. When we see it reversed, what does it show? It shows that there is a lack of fervor, that we've let our fire grow cold. Spiritual fervor must be watched, fed, and maintained, and that is the first danger to carrying out gospel ministry. That first danger is that spiritual fervor, that first love that we received in Jesus Christ, can quickly cool off if we neglect it. If we're not careful, the gospel can become something merely intellectual that we as believers discuss among ourselves. And not the power of God that we unleash into the lives of each other and those around us in the world. Timothy was in danger of this. Paul's own protege. If it was a danger for Timothy, I guarantee you it's a danger for us. Hence Paul's admonition here to fan his gift into a flame. 
You say, is the lack of spiritual fervor a danger today in American Christianity? Yes. How many people in American Christianity today call themselves followers of Jesus Christ, yet because of their settled complacency, spiritual lethargy, and worldly apathy, general neglect for the things of God, they've never set another human being on fire for Christ their entire life long. They're just completely of no spiritual effect at all. Are they saved? It's possible. Even an ember might produce enough light and heat for itself, but one thing's for sure. If it's not stoked into a blazing fire, it can't catch anything else on fire at all. It will just sputter on in darkness until its faint light and its heat is put out. A soul solitary ember that was practically useless in its purpose. For those of you who have wood furnaces, I know you understand what I'm talking about. If we're not careful... We as believers and as the body of Christ can succumb to that same danger as well. We might have enough spiritual life and light for ourselves in Jesus, but if we don't fan our fervor into a flame, if we don't consider how to stir one another up into love and good works, we will never catch anyone else on fire for Christ at all. And we must. We must. For hell is real. Hell is real. Souls are dying. Christ is coming. And He is worthy. Our families must know this. Our spouses must, be, must know this. Our children must know this. Our co-workers and classmates and neighbors must know this. Many in our own church must know this so that they might come to find, every one of them, God's mercy and grace in Christ. We will never feel the pressure and urge to tell them about Jesus if we lack spiritual fervor. So I just wanted you to take a brief moment this morning and do an inventory on your relationships. Do those around you know That Jesus Christ is the most important person in your life. Do they know this? Is he? The first danger Paul identifies to exalting Christ above all through making and maturing disciples of Jesus Christ is the lack of spiritual fervor in the gospel. We have got to fan into flame our gift of spiritual fervor. We must be taking in the gospel ourselves and applying it to our own lives so that we would understand it must be shared with others. We must not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must proclaim it. A second threat and danger to carrying out gospel ministry for the glory of Christ today is not only a lack of spiritual fervor, but it's a lack of fearlessness for the gospel. A lack of fearlessness for the gospel. Not only a lack of fervor in the gospel, but a lack of fearlessness for the gospel. Paul tells Timothy in verse 8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. At the time this letter was written, probably around 66 AD or so, to live as a Christian 
almost assuredly meant to live in suffering. It meant to face not only universal scorn and criticism from everyone around you, but it also meant persecution, imprisonment, and often even death. Why, after the burning of Rome, if you were known to be a Christian and you were arrested and did not recant of your faith in Jesus Christ, you would become a citronella candle for one of Nero's midnight lawn parties. And so in light of worldly hostility and suffering, it would have been so very easy to slip into a spirit of fear and of shrinking back from the testimony of Jesus Christ and just say things like this. Well, you know, we know the gospel. And we certainly don't want to offend anyone else in sharing it. So maybe we'll just live out the gospel until we can find the proper place and time to share it. Which, of course, will be the time and place when it won't offend anyone and thereby endanger my livelihood and comfort, right? That's usually what we mean when we say, I don't want to offend anyone. What is that? It's fear. That is fear. Now, does debilitating fear present a danger to exalting Jesus Christ and carrying out the ministry of the gospel in our world today? Yes. And we're shown that nearly every day. In a pastor's network I'm a part of online, through social media, I was made aware that there are some evangelical churches in America and in Europe that are just now finally considering opening up after closing themselves down since February of 2020. Churches that stayed closed beyond even their own government mandates. Think about that. Over two years of voluntary dispersion and abandonment of Christian fellowship. Listen, this is contrary to absolutely everything the Bible teaches. Ever since creation, God said it is not good for man to be alone. That's just being human. And beyond that, we are Christians. We are members, one of another, of the body of Christ designed by the Spirit to need each other, to build each other up in our most holy faith. As the book of Hebrews teaches, if we're not meeting together and exhorting each other continually in fellowship, then we are being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, and we are growing complacent and cold towards God. There is no third option given in Scripture. We're either stirring each other up in love, or we're letting each other grow cold and fall into patterns of sin. And so to voluntarily scatter the sheep and leave them unshepherded for so long in such a stunning abandonment of all that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ teaches in His Word, such derelict action can only be explained by one word. Fear. 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 It is present. It is palpable. And it is powerful in the American church today. That's why Paul warns us here that a lack of fearlessness is an ever-present danger to exalting Christ and carrying out gospel ministry. And lest we be deceived is a danger even for us here in this place, now, today. 
See, even though we've been given this wonderful message, each and every one of us, Grace Chapel, has had faithful gospel teaching for generations. Some of you could probably give a better gospel presentation than I can. You've had it recited to you and taught week after week your entire life. And even though we've been given this wonderful message of this As Paul talks about here in verses 8 through 14, this wonderful gospel message of being called to a holy calling, not because of our own works, but because of God's own purpose and grace, which he gifted to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and now has manifested it to us through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ to abolish death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, even though we've been given this message of absolute victory and power and fearlessness. We can begin to think under the pressures of the hour. Well, if I do write down the truth on this paper, I could lose my grade. Well, if I do share the gospel now, I could lose my job. Though you can talk about practically everything else in your job environment. If I preach this passage here, I could lose my church. If I show my support for this pastor and the stand he's taking right now, I could lose my freedom. Fear is a danger for Christians today. Just as it was for Timothy, Paul's own protege. (laughs) This is common. That's why Paul encourages him here to not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord nor of me as prisoner. Why would Paul have to tell Timothy that? It's because the second danger to carrying out gospel ministry for the glory of Christ in our world today is a lack of fearlessness for the gospel. A lack of fervor in the gospel, a lack of fearlessness for the gospel. And and third, a lack of faithfulness to the gospel. Paul writes in verses 13 through 14, he says this to Timothy. The pastor there in Ephesus says, he says, follow the pattern of sound words which you have heard of me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. In other words, Paul is telling Timothy to remain faithful to the Gospel and to the Spirit-inspired Word of God that had been entrusted to him. Timothy was, not, was being called here to not deviate from the Word of God, to not go beyond what was written, but to simply preach the Word and be faithful to the good news of Jesus Christ. Now why would Paul teach that? He teaches that because a third danger to carrying out gospel ministry in our day is a lack of faithfulness to the gospel. Paul warns later in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 16-18 through 18, that there will be men and women like Hymenaeus and Philetus who start in the truth and yet swerve from it in order to spread irreverent babble that upsets the faith of some. In other words, they lack a faithfulness to the gospel. Paul repeats this letter in, uh, later in chapter 4, verses 3-5, through five, when he says that there is coming a time when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They will desire their passions to be fed, rather than the truth to be fed. And under the direction of those people-pleasing pastors, they will turn away from listening to the truth to wander off into myths. In other words, they won't be faithful to the gospel. 
And that's why Paul warns Timothy, follow the pattern of sound words. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Paul warns Timothy of this because of a lack of faithfulness to the gospel and God's word is a constant danger that can overwhelm a Christ-exalting ministry. A ministry can start with the truth only to swerve from it later in order to wander off into myths, empty philosophy, and vain visions arising from people's own sensuous minds. And a lack of faithfulness is a danger to gospel ministry today. As we see many evangelical teachers who once taught the Word of God faithfully for many years suddenly open up their ministries to ideas of extra-biblical mysticism, sociology, and earthly pragmatism in order to expand their ministries. It's rough out there. You might not see it, but as a pastor, I see it. It makes finding conference speakers and book recommendations as a pastor feel like a nightmare sometimes. Because people will say, but I read this good book that this person wrote once. And I have to look it up and say, yeah, I know, but do you realize they're teaching this now? Just as Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find A lack of faithfulness to the Word of God and the Gospel is a real danger to the church today. A lack of fervor in the Gospel, a lack of fearlessness for the Gospel, a lack of faithfulness to the Gospel, and finally, a lack of fortitude with the Gospel. That's in verses 15 through 18. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 1 verse 15, You are aware that all who were in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelius, I knew I was going to ruin that, and Hermogenes. Why can't they just be named Tim? Anyway. And the only exception to those two people is seen in a man named Onesiphorus, whom Paul references in verses 16 through 18 when he writes, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. See, Onesiphorus had begun serving with Paul many years earlier, back when Paul had first begun to minister there in Ephesus. And now, all these years later, Onesiphorus was still serving with Paul and had been persistently doing so, as Paul says, having often refreshed him with his presence. And now that Paul was in prison facing death row, Onesiphorus still wasn't going anywhere. He was ready to stand by Paul in his ministry of the gospel through thick and thin. Onesiphorus exhibited, you could say, fortitude. That is, courage and endurance in the face of adversity. But the reason why Paul mentions the fortitude of Onesiphorus here is to draw attention to the fact that very few others were exhibiting such spiritual fortitude as well, at all. Paul tells us here in verse 15 that the moment the going got tough, the tough got going. Most of Paul's comrades disappeared from his life. All who were in Asia, he says, turned away. He expands on this later in chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, when he writes, Do your best, writing to Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, Paul writes, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, Luke alone is with me. What is Paul doing? 
He is calling on Timothy to show some spiritual fortitude and tenacity with the gospel. He's calling on Timothy not to turn away from the gospel, but rather to continue with it. To continue in the ministry and proclamation of it. Why? Because the fourth danger to effectively carrying out gospel ministry for the glory of God through making and maturing disciples of Jesus Christ is a lack of fortitude with the gospel. Is that a danger today? A lack of fortitude with the gospel? Yes. Even though many believers stay faithful to the gospel in their claims of belief, they may not show fortitude with the gospel with their lives and their actions. For example, just some statistics that might help you. For example, several decades ago, nearly 90% of those who graduated from American evangelical seminaries planned on entering full-time ministry. Today, only 41% of seminary graduates plan on doing so, according to the Association of Theological Schools in 2020. And then, of those 41% who actually desire to enter full-time ministry after graduating from seminary, at the end of their education, at least 50% will leave the ministry within the first five years. That means only 20% of seminary graduates actually last as a pastor longer than five years. And only... 4% will make it to 20 years in pastoral ministry. That rate of attrition, by the way, in pulpits parallels what we're seeing in the pews. The average annual rate in which congregants leave churches in America today is around 15%. And that statistic has grown worse over the last two years. We're at the very beginning of the pandemic and through the first year and a half, nearly one-third of practicing Christians dropped out of church completely even when their churches were open, and the percentage of those attending at least one to two times a month decreased by nearly 6% even today. Though many would say that their faithfulness to the gospel hasn't changed, their fortitude with the gospel has. And while this may not be the personal experience of our own church currently, by the grace of God, this is definitely the landscape of broader Christianity in America today. A lack of fervor, a lack of fearlessness, a lack of faithfulness, and a lack of fortitude. This is why Paul warned Timothy in chapter 1 to fan to flame the gift of God, to not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, to follow the pattern of sound words, and to guard the good deposit entrusted to you, and to remember men like Onesiphorus when compared with all those who are in Asia. Paul warned Timothy of all of these things because these are the fourfold dangers that are ever present when it comes to carrying out true gospel ministry for the glory of Jesus in our world today. A lack of fervor in the gospel, a lack of fearlessness for the gospel, a lack of faithfulness to the gospel, and a lack of fortitude with the gospel. These are dangers to gospel ministry because if we don't hold fast and hold forth, the gospel with fervor, fearlessness, faithfulness, and fortitude, we will lose the gospel itself. As I taught in my very first sermon here, the truth is only one generation from being completely lost. And how do you lose the truth? Through a lack of fervor, fearlessness, faithfulness, and fortitude. Paul understood this. He knew the dangers of the hour. And so having reminded Timothy of the dangers of the hour in chapter 1, he then is ready to communicate the needs of the hour in chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. In other words, how do we as Christians respond to the lack of fervor, 
faith, fearlessness, faithfulness, and fortitude regarding the gospel today? And how do we develop a Christ-exalting ministry that truly endures? Come back next week to find out. No, I've, I've got to give you a little bit. The answer starts in the most obvious and overlooked area. It begins with God's own people drawing near to God in Christ for ourselves. He says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Think about it. Who alone can blow the billows of the Spirit upon the embers of our heart when it grows cold? You can't work up fervor. Who alone can strengthen us in our inner man to cause our hearts to take courage? We can't generate courage. Who alone can keep us faithful to the pattern of sound words that he himself has laid down? We can't produce a love for the truth. And who alone can impart to us the fortitude and steadfastness of Christ himself? Only God and God alone. When we consider the lack of fervor, fearlessness, faithfulness, and fortitude regarding the gospel today around us and within us, the answer is not to look inside ourselves. The answer is to look outside ourselves. To look to God who has promised to give us everything we need in Christ. Beloved, may I encourage you, if your heart has been drifting away and growing cold, and you recognize, you know what? I have drifted away from keeping my heart warm and hot through the reading of God's Word and through prayer. Don't let that continue today. Why are we a church? It's so that before you leave today, you grab another believer and say, Brother, sister, help me. Would you read the Bible with me this week? Would you pray with me this week? Would you not let me go until my heart burns white hot for the gospel? I don't want to live like this anymore. I want to live for Christ. That's why we exist. Grab another believer and approach the Word and the throne of God together this week. He will give us the fervor, fearlessness, faithfulness, and fortitude that we need. In light of the dangers of the hour, be strengthened with the grace that is yours in Christ Jesus and watch the embers of your heart grow warm as you draw near to God who is a consuming fire. And the second way is to proclaim the Gospel. Not only draw near to God, but proclaim the Gospel. But we'll have to look at the needs of the hour more next week. For now, this is the Word of God from 1 Timothy chapter 1, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience until He comes. To that end, as the men come forward for communion, let's pray that the Lord would make us faithful to His Word. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much. For the clarity you brought by your Spirit to the Apostle Paul back then. To rightly identify the challenges and the obstacles to proclaiming Jesus Christ above all as a body. I thank you that your Spirit led him to write it down so that it is preserved for us today so that we who seek to honor Christ above all 
can know what are the dangers both within and without. And then we can know what we must do in light of that. Father, we look to You. We don't look to ourselves. We look to You to give us the spiritual fire that we need to be faithful to the Gospel in our day and in our hour. Give us that grace and change our own hearts For the honor of Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.